Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I missed you these last four minutes. That felt like a long four minutes because I can't wait to be back and to continue hour two of this show because my friend and Bible teacher and mentor, Jeff Burdorn, is with me, and we're continuing our study on the series In the Beginning, and it concludes today. Jeff, hi. Good afternoon, Bill. Yeah, thank you. So uh, we've got a lot to cover today. We do. And maybe we'll... We'll do a recap and Q&A. Otherwise, we conclude today. Well, we can. So this is kind of part seven of our In the Beginning study. So, yeah, we got a lot to fit in, uh, kind of an understanding of we've been talking about the beginning. And in this last session, I want to paint a broad and big picture, basically from the beginning to the end, and talk about this God who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and uh, look at the states of the earth throughout history Mm -hmm. and into the future. Can I start with a quote from Psalm? Yeah. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Yeah, he's the maker. He's it. He's the creator. Mm -hmm. We, uh, session one and two of this, we kind of talked through that. He gives life to everything. He's the author of all life. So yeah, this is his. So I love it. Maybe we can do a little quick review of what we discussed last time. I know we've got a lot to cover tonight. Yeah, so we've been talking about this picture from Genesis and trying to understand what the Bible says and what the Bible doesn't say about creation. But we also talked some over the last few times about what we can observe in the universe. And so as we walk through this model of creation, we we talk generally about two Uh, competing views. One of those views is that the universe is old and that the life that we see on this planet is also old, that it began millions of years ago. So the universe had a beginning, a big bang, uh, which they believe is the best explanation for the origins of the universe, and life began on this planet. They don't really know how life began, but that the diversity and complexity that we see today is the result of Darwinian evolutionary processes over millions of years. So that's the old universe, old life view. The other view, competing view, um, held by many Christians, is the young universe and young life view, generally known as young earth creationism. And that states that the universe was created about 6,000 years ago in six literal days, and all the life that we see on the earth Uh, came into being in day five and day six uh, of that creation event some 6,000 years ago. I look at both of these competing views, and none of them, or I should say either of them, to me, doesn't fit perfectly with what we see in Scripture and what we can observe in the universe. The first view, that both are old, uses Darwinian evolution, and and I just think Darwinian evolution does not explain the complexity of biological systems we see today. It just, it fails at, at that. In fact, I think we live in a very exciting time that we talked about 
uh, two times ago, actually, that intelligent design is actually increasingly see, seen as a more viable explanation of life, uh, especially as we learn more and more about DNA, its origins and understanding, and that it's basically information. So the question is not where did life come from or how do we get this complexity of life? The real question is where did we get the information in DNA that's required to build that life? And yet, we look at the universe, and it appears old. Now, young Earth creationism seems to ignore that fact that the universe appears to be old because even the simplest observations of a star that's 2 million light years away would lead us to conclude that the universe is at least 2 million years old. Well, we can see stars and galaxies that are billions of years away. Yet the Bible seems to clearly indicate that Adam was formed in a garden some 6,000 years ago. So my view that I've been trying to outline here is, is that the universe is old, that it began with a big bang some 14 and a half billion years ago. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He stretched out the heavens. Boy, that kind of sounds like the expansion of this universe that we can observe and measure and that the universe expanded for billions of years, the Milky Way formed, our solar system formed, the Earth formed some four and a half billion years ago, and then about 6,000 years ago, God took this hunk of rock, third from the sun, that was formless and void and, and empty with no life, and in six literal days, he created a garden full of plant life, and animal life, and man. And it's really trying to reconcile these two separate questions. How old is Adam, and how old were the rocks underneath Adam's feet? And I think when we answer those two questions separately, I think the best way to reconcile what Scripture says is that the universe really is old, and I think gen the Genesis narrative fits that description, and we walked through that, but that life is young. And then we talked about the fall and the fall of mankind, and that really it's the fall that initiates God's plan of redemption throughout the rest of Scripture to draw mankind back into union with himself. And then we also talked about the flood, the rationale for the flood, some of the evidences for the flood, and we got through about Genesis 6 and 7 there in the flood account. So that's what we've been studying in the beginning. Today, I wanted to continue and talk about the earth specifically, and that what I see in Scripture is seven distinct and different states of this earth from beginning to all of eternity. Ecclesiastes says that the earth endures forever, and most Christians don't understand this. They think that, oh, we're going to spend eternity in heaven. Well, in reality, as we will see this hour, heaven actually spends eternity on earth. The new heaven and the new earth come together with a new Jerusalem that comes down to heaven onto this earth, onto a remade earth, and that is our eternal dwelling. And that's what we're going to see in Scripture. And so we're going to walk through the seven different earths that we see from the beginning of creation all the way through consummation and our eternal home. All right. This is going to be great. Hmm. 
And we've got seven Earths to look at, seven different stages of Earth, according to Scripture? Correct. Okay. So I want to start by reading a passage from Peter. And Peter really sums up, kind of spreads a broad brush from beginning to end in this passage from 2 Peter chapter 3. All right, here we go. So I've got about seven, eight verses here that I'm going to read, and we'll pause in between a couple of them. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as a reminder to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior. First of all, you must understand, in the last days, scoffers will scum, come scoffing and following their own evil desires. By the way, just here in the last days, we are actually in the last days. Now, I love to teach on the end times and the last days, and eschatology is the study of end things or end times. But when you read Hebrews 1, for example, it says, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Well, that's today. That's right now. So technically, biblically, we are actually in the last days. So that's kind of cool. So in these last days, scoffers will come. Well, boy, are there scoffers around that are questioning, well, Christ said he's coming back soon. It's been 2,000 years. Where is this coming that he promised, right? Verse 4. Oh, that's the next verse. Then they will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Well, this is an assumption that, the, that, that, that Peter here is describing. Everything hasn't been going on the same since creation. We've got this creation event. We've got this flood event. And now Peter is going to describe those and knock down this assumption that everything has been going on the same since the beginning. For they deliberately forget, verse 5, that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water. Well, that's exactly the description that we saw in Genesis chapter 1. The earth was formed out of water and by water. Genesis 1-2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over those same waters. And then, of course, we have the six-day creation account, which forms the garden earth. Verse 6, by these same waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Now, what is that? Well, that's the flood. And we've covered that when we looked at Genesis chapter 6. Verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Well, what is this event? This is the new heaven and the new earth. It happens at the end of the millennial reign, as we will see in a minute. And so hold on to that thought, more of that in just a second. Verse 8, But they forget one thing, dear friends, with the, day, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow to keeping his promise, as some understand it. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish. Just, just an aside here, that is such a powerful statement for God's heart. He wishes none to perish. God loves all. He sent his son to die for all. He offers salvation to all and says, whosoever wills, I will save. That's God's heart. He wishes none to perish. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
the heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Oh my goodness, that is what is in store for the earth. God is going to lay everything bare. Even the elements are going to be burned up with fire. And Revelation tells us after this moment, that is when he makes all things new, the new heaven and the new earth. For Revelation says the old heaven and the old earth pass away, and he is going to make a new heaven and new earth. Now, some will ask, well, what does that mean? Well, today, are heaven and earth together, or are they apart? Well, they're apart, right? We're down here on the earth. God is up there in heaven. But as we're going to see, one day, heaven and earth are going to come together. And that is our eternal state. Mm. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're continuing uh, our series on In the Beginning, talking about the seven earth creation. We're going to kind of recreate the model in the next uh, 45 minutes, so don't miss. We'll be right back. Talking to Jeff Verdorn, and we're talking about the uh, seven Earth creation in our final series, uh, final segment of our In the Beginning series. So, Jeff, this is fascinating. So let's get through these seven. So I see in Scripture seven unique states of the Earth that are described. Now, seven, of course, is God's perfect number, His eternal number, and so. Really, there, there couldn't be anything other than seven that are described, but we are going to walk through them and see that, yes, indeed, that there are seven states of this earth, this planet, that God describes. So beginning at the beginning, a good place to start, we have God in eternity past. Only God exists. Remember when he, what he told Moses, I am that I am. That literally means the one who exists, Exodus three fourteen. If Up in heaven in Revelation chapter 4, we see that the Four living creatures say a new, sing a new song, and it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end. He was before all things. So in eternity past, you have God. Then he speaks, and everything <clears throat> comes into existence. All things that were made were made from God. And I just have to say, Jeff just made the explosion gesture. I did. I don't the, know if it actually sounded like that. Well, you know, it sounded like <laughs> that he did the arm movement, too. Just, I just feel like I got to throw that in just so people can uh, hear what happened. It was big. It was big. It oh, was yeah. It was big. God speaks, Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. Cool. He speaks and everything comes into existence. And over billions of years, that's what science says, I, I really, it's not that big of an issue, we have the earth. 
Now, what's the state of the earth? Well, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 tells us that this earth was formless and void. There's no life on it. And there appears this water, and the Spirit is hovering over this void earth. There's no life on it yet. Nothing exists. God hasn't started making his garden yet. And then we have the seven days of creation. Let there be, let there be, let there be. And God forms the water, separates the waters from below to the waters above, creates an atmosphere. He creates dry ground. He creates plants and animals and mankind. And then we have a garden earth. So the next earth is the garden, the garden of Eden, earth number two. Perfect, good, no, very good. And all God made was very good. Adam and Eve were in perfect union with God. They walked with God in the cool of the evening, and it, it, it was wonderful. By the way, that's going to happen again in the end. We'll get to that in mm-hmm. a second. So, Jeff, when we talk about the seven earths, we're talking about phases of the earth, what gets added to it, what happens. Yeah, so I describe it as states of the earth. States, okay. So this is, God is going to reshape or change the earth for each one of these. And so I want everybody to understand, first there we had a void earth. Mm -hmm. God steps in and shapes the earth, I believe in six literal days, into a garden. He changes the earth. And so now we have an earth full of life. This is earth number two. Okay. State of Earth. The state of the Earth. Okay. Of the physical planet. That's helpful. All right. Then the third Earth. Well, did it stay as a garden? I wish. I wish. We know the answer. They ate from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and therefore man died that day. What really happened is they died spiritually that day. They were separated from God. They became sinful, and so God had to withdraw from them, and the earth and all creation became fallen. And so man is now dead spiritually. Physical death would now follow. Man has to toil by the sweat of his brow for food, with thorns and thistles, mosquitoes started biting in the garden that's all of a sudden because they didn't in the garden before that. And and man is kicked out of the garden. And now we have a fallen earth. The nature of the earth changes once again. It's now under a curse. It's mm. fallen. We have the first birth. We have the first murder, right? Cain kills Abel. But God has a plan. And actually, after the fall of mankind, that's actually where we see the first prophecy for God's solution, the coming Messiah who will die for the sins of the world. Very cool prophecy, by the way. I'm not sure I've heard it talked about this way either. And I think there's probably a lot of listeners thinking the same thing. It's It paints a big picture yeah, of God's really story does. from beginning to end, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. All right. So the fourth earth. What is the fourth earth? Well... God sees the corruption of the earth that it has become. For all the people of the earth have corrupted their ways, Genesis 6, 12 says. So God sends a flood over the entire earth. And God starts again with Noah and his family and two of every kind of animal that he puts into an ark, wipes out everything else. They, their ark comes to a, to a, a stop on a mountain and they come out, and we're going to start 
afresh, anew. And we talked about this a couple of times ago. We see the first rainbow appear in the sky, which means there wasn't a rainbow before the flood, which tells me that somehow the atmosphere pre-flood versus post-flood has changed dramatically, right? In fact, Genesis says that there was no rain before the flood, but a dew watered the earth, which makes sense why there wasn't a rainbow in the sky prior to the flood. But now God has set the rainbow in the sky. The other big change is we see lifespans decreasing dramatically. So whereas Adam and the number of generations after him lived to be 900 plus years old, now after the flood, we see that nobody really lives past about 100 years old. Okay, so lifespans have, have dropped dramatically. So once again, post-flood, God has changed the state of the earth in some way from pre-flood to post-flood. And so this post-flood earth is therefore the earth number four. But it doesn't stay like that. First Chronicles 119 says this, Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time, the earth was divided. Hmm. Now, the timing of this passage is about 100 years after the flood, but God doesn't tell us what this division is. So we have to, we have to try to figure out, well, what is the division that God's talking about? This sounds pretty dramatic. God divides the earth in some way. So let's look if we can find something in Scripture where there's a division. Well, sure enough, if we turn to the story of the Tower of Babel, you know the story. Man gets together. They try to build a tower up into the heavens, and God doesn't like it so much. And he divides the people up by separating their languages, confusing their languages, and he spreads them out to the whole earth. And we have the birth, then, of the nations of the world, the ethos in Greek, the people groups of this planet. And so this Tower of Babel was about 100 years after the flood. Genesis 11 says this, So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. And there's your, the, the ethnos, the people groups, the nations that then came upon the earth. So I think this division is most likely the division that happened at Babel. Either way, regardless, we now have a divided earth the nature of the earth itself has changed once again, and that is earth number five. Okay. We'll continue our discussion, the seven different states of the earth. Our teacher is Jeff Verdorn. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're talking about, uh, we're finishing our series on In the Beginning with Jeff Verdorn. And Jeff, uh, we're talking this hour about the seven different states of the earth. Really interesting discussion. So we're, I think, all the way through earth number four. First one was the uh, pre-Genesis earth. Then there was the garden earth, the fallen earth, and the post-flood earth. And then the divided earth. The divided earth, yeah. Earth five. And we talked about that. And so that... It's kind of like we need a sign. You are here. So this is where we're at. This is the state of the earth today, this divided earth, earth number five on this on my chart. And so what everything else that we're going to talk about from here on out is the future state of the earth. So today we're on earth number five, but God has told us about his plans for the end of the age. Do you remember... Um, when his disciples in, Ma- in Matthew 24 came to him and Jesus says, do you see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left upon another. And he made a prophecy about the temple. And the disciples asked him, ah, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Well, guess what? This age is going to come to an end. And it comes to an end with the return of Jesus Christ. So I believe prophetically the next events on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church where we are caught up together with him and we then go to heaven. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will surely come back and take you where I am also. I believe that's the rapture of the church. Then there is a seven-year tribulation where God pours out his wrath on the earth, culminating in the second coming of Christ, where he returns riding on a white horse uh, with a sword coming out of his mouth, and he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, that's Armageddon, and he comes to establish his kingdom. That's the day when we pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That's the day that hit what the name written on his robe and on his thighs, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he will begin to reign. And that's the day he does it. The next earth, earth number six, is the millennial earth. This is the earth that Christ reigns on earth for a thousand years. So Jesus returns. For a thousand years he will rule. This is the kingdom that the Old Testament talks a lot about. In Psalm chapter 2, it says that Christ, you, will rule them with an iron scepter. You are enthroned in Zion, Psalm 9 says. He will rule over the ends of the earth, Psalm 22 says. It will be an everlasting kingdom with no end, Daniel 4 says. And the mountain of the Lord will be established, Isaiah 1 verse 2 says, on earth. And Christ will reign. And by the way, church, who is reigning with Jesus? We are reigning with Jesus for those thousand years. Now, what is the nature of this sixth earth, this millennial earth? Well, we actually have a lot of clues, like I said, in the Old Testament that describe this. Isaiah chapter 1 says that that nation will not lift a sword against another nation. Isaiah says that men will beat their weapons into plowshares and there will be peace on earth. Wow. Peace. Can you imagine? No. We've never had peace on earth. 
And yet for this thousand years with Jesus as King Jesus ruling the earth and us ruling with him, there will be peace. Isaiah 11 says that the wolf will live with the lamb, the lion will eat straw like the oxen, and the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Well, that's not happening yet. No. No. And there is a day, though, that it will happen when somehow the animal kingdom will be changed. Isaiah 11 goes on to say, The cow will feed with the bear, the young, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Wow. Yeah, that's not happening yet. No. By the way, some in Christianity want to say that we are in this kingdom already. And I would say, no, open up your newspaper and look around. Just the few verses that we've already read of the state of this kingdom that is coming, we're not there yet. Jesus is going to come and establish his kingdom. It says in Micah that he will judge between the many, many people. There is a millennial temple that is described at the end of the book of Ezekiel, where Jesus, the temple, will be rebuilt and Jesus will reside there. All the land is said to be changed to a plain, but Jerusalem will rise and remain, Zechariah 14, and nations will go up year after year to worship the king, Zechariah 14. But even in this perfect millennial kingdom of Christ on earth, there's still going to be rebellion. I know. So at the end of the thousand years, it says in the book of Revelation that Satan, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this, Satan during this thousand years is bound. He's bound up. He's imprisoned. But he's released at the end of the thousand years to deceive the nations, and he convinces a whole bunch of people to basically say, let's go take over this kingdom. And at the end of that rebellion, when they surround the city of Jerusalem, it says fire comes down from heaven and destroys them all. Hmm. And that's the end of the thousand years. But that is going to be a physical, literal kingdom on earth with Jesus as king and us ruling with him. And we're not there yet. That's earth number six. Oh. All right. Earth number seven. What happens then at the end of... Of the millennial reign. Well, this fire comes down from heaven. Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. We have what is known as the great white throne judgment, which is the judgment of all of the lost throughout all of history from the beginning to the end. And so we will be with Christ on the throne who all judgment has been given to him. So God is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. We are with them on the throne. Before us is all of lost humanity who is being judged. And there are books were opened and other books were opened. And the book of life is opened. And none of the lost will be found in the book of life. And if anyone's name is not found in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. And they will be cast into the lake of fire. That is, by the way, the only day in all of eternity when everybody will be together. And so when Paul writes, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, I think that's the day. And we as believers have voluntarily bowed our knee to King Jesus. The rest of the lost world will recognize and know that he is the king when he declares his final victory over the lost world. Jeff, isn't that also the time when the tears will be wiped away for the last time? 
It is actually right after the great white throne judgment. Uh, there's this passage in Revelation where it says, He wipes every tear from our eyes. And a lot of people will say, well, see, there's no crying in heaven. And it's like, well, if he's wiping away our tears, well, then we were crying. And I think the answer is, is that what are we crying over? Well, I think that day, that judgment day, that great white throne judgment day is going to be a very sad day. Remember, we read in Second Peter 3 that God wishes none to perish. And here, most of mankind is going through the broad gate to destruction, and many go through it. Do you think God's heart will break that day? Absolutely. Do you think our heart is going to break that day? Might we know someone who's never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and will be standing before the throne on that day and cast into the lake of fire? And the answer is yes, probably we will. And I think our hearts will break. But we will understand in that moment that it couldn't be any other way. God is righteous. You need to be righteous to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says that nothing unrighteous will ever enter into it. And so I think that will be a very sad day. But then the God of all comfort comforts us. He wipes away every tear, and we then enter into eternity, into this new heaven and new earth, which is earth number seven. Hmm. I just want to ask my listeners, are you are any of you yelling at your radio right now? Hmm. And this is disturbing for many. And I know there's also positions that you are taking that are going to be in conflict with other people when you talk about the rapture and everything else and then the millennial return. Um, so I, I appreciate uh, your biblical understanding and position of this and the way you're discussing this because as we go through it, I realize it is, it's pretty, can be controversial. Yeah, so end times... Uh, the study of eschatology, God's plan for the end of the age, I do have a certain view. But I think most Christians, regardless of your eschatology views, believe in some form of judgment day. And uh, the great white throne is that day. Um, when the lost, uh, you know, it, the alternative is, is that everybody goes to heaven. And some have tried to pass off a universalist view that mm-hmm. everybody in some way will get to heaven. And I think clearly God has pointed that there are two roads, two gates, two paths, two gates. You know, Joshua said, I set before you, God says, I set before you uh, two paths, life and death. Choose life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And uh, so this judgment day, the great white throne judgment, is the day when John 3.16 becomes reality. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, be cast into the lake of fire, but have everlasting life, enter into the new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem. So I don't think that judgment part should be controversial at all, that there are two paths. I don't paths. think that part's controversial. Yeah, I know, some of the other stuff, the end yeah. times plan. Yeah. So let's talk about this seventh earth now. So after the great white throne judgment, it says in Revelation that the heavens will disappear. I'm sorry. In Second Peter, we read earlier that the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Revelation picks up on this exact same 
moment in future history when it says this, John saw a vision. Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared for a bride, adorned for her husband. Verse 21, Revelation 21, 5 says, And then God makes all things new. The nature of this earth changes once again for its final time where he completely burns up this earth and makes all things new, the new earth. There's no longer any mourning. There's no longer any crying or pain, for the first things have passed away, Revelation 21, verse 4. There's no need for light in this new Jerusalem because the glory of God illuminates the city and the lamp is the lamb. The river of the water of life will flow through this city and we see the tree of life aligning these streets of gold in this new Jerusalem. We haven't seen the tree of life since the very beginning of the book when God says that in the middle of the garden was a tree of life. And now we see in our eternal state, once again, there will be the tree of life. And God says in Revelation 22, verse 3, that there is no longer any curse. The curse will finally be lifted finally be gone. He burns up the old earth, makes all things new. Nothing unrighteous will ever enter into this kingdom of God. So we had to take away or take care of this other issue with the great white throne judgment. And now only believers, only the righteous shall enter into this new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. And now I want to tell you something that's kind of really cool. Maybe we should do it after the break. Yeah, we can do that. Do you know what the new temperature is going to be on the new earth? 72 and a half degrees, 24-7. Uh, works for me. All right, we'll take a little break. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're continuing and finalizing our study on In the Beginning series. This has been a fabulous study. We'll be right back. Jeff, are we moving into the bonus round right now? <laughs> We're kind of getting there, aren't we? We are. So we just described the seventh earth. The seventh perfect number, right? Eternal number of God mm-hmm. is always represented in sevens. And we've described this new heaven and this new earth. Heaven and earth have now come together. And 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 this holy city, this new Jerusalem has come down. And John, actually, and we actually don't know a lot about our eternal state in this new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem. Really, chapter 21 and and part of 22 are all we have, and that's all the description we get. Uh, I mentioned a few of the passages and a few of the things that uh, we, we will see there. But one of the things we will not see there, in Revelation 21, verse 22, John says this, And I did not see a temple in the city. Oh. Why is there no temple in the city? Haven't we kind of always had a temple? This is another really fascinating study. Did you know there's actually seven temples described also in Scripture? So if you look from the very beginning 
to Revelation, we actually see, just like there's seven earths described, there's also seven temples described. So what are those really quick? Well, the first is the tabernacle. God gave Israel instructions to make a tabernacle when he gave the law to Moses about 1445 B.C. So part of the law of Moses was, hey, I want you to build this tent of meeting. And in this tabernacle would be an outside area, this the brazen altar where they would make the sacrifices, and then a tent with a holy place where there was the table of showbread and the menorah and the altar of incense. And then inside of that was the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that is where the presence of God dwelt. That's where he tabernacled with men. Well, then they wandered in the desert. They get to Jerusalem and finally... Solomon builds the first temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It was started about 966 A.D., and God's presence moves into that temple. But then, sadly, God's presence leaves that temple because Israel forgot about God. And that temple was destroyed by the Babylonians when they came and destroyed that temple. In Ezra and Nehemiah... Israel is returning back from their captivity in Babylon, and they build a second temple. This is Zerubbabel's temple that's described. It was not as grand, but then Herod greatly expanded it, and that was the second temple period. That's the temple where Jesus would have gone in and turned over the money changers' table and so on in his day. But that temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. What's the next temple that God made? Well, the church. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In 32 AD, the Holy Spirit comes down, and we now are the temple of God. But the rapture of the church is going to take that temple away, and during the tribulation period, Scripture describes another temple, a fifth temple that's going to be built, but only this temple will never have the presence of God. In fact, it will have the presence of the Antichrist, who will set up an abomination in the temple of God and declare himself as God, Thessalonians says. But that temple will be destroyed at the second coming of Christ when every wall will fall to the ground and he makes all things new, the millennial reign that we were talking about earlier— and then we have the millennial temple. Now, this temple is described in Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48 or so. And that's the temple that Jesus will rule the earth from. That's the sixth temple. But we just said at the end of the millennial temple, God makes a new heaven and a new earth. So that temple is going to get wiped away as well. Go back to John. And I did not see a, a temple in the new Jerusalem, in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Hmm. Wow. God himself is the temple. What, after all, is tabernacle? It's God dwelling with man. Revelation 21, verse 3, one of the most significant verses in all the Bible 
says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God will tabernacle with us in the new heaven and new earth in New Jerusalem for all of eternity. And so John doesn't see a temple in the new city. He says that the Lord God and the Lamb are its temple. That's the seventh temple. So there's the seven earths that I see in Scripture. There's the seven temples that are described in Scripture. Kind of a cool picture from beginning to end. And actually, when I teach this class in a semester format, I actually call it in the beginning, end the end. And we conclude with what we just concluded with, that God has a plan. And that plan will come to be. When God told us all the prophecies for the first coming of Christ, they all came true exactly as he said. And so we can trust that all the prophecies about the second coming of Christ, our future, this future kingdom, what God calls our inheritance, we know those are true as well. Jeff, can we review the seven temples again? Just kind of go through them quickly. Yeah. So the tabernacle in the desert. Tabernacle in the desert. Solomon's temple. I have a chart on this if you want to. No, bring up the word chart. <laughs> we could probably get that embedded. We could. In the podcast. I don't know if we can do it tonight, but. Solomon's temple, which was the first physical temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Okay. That was destroyed by the Babylonians. Um, the second temple was then rebuilt when Israel returned from their captivity in Babylon, and that's called, generally it's called the second temple or the second temple period or Herod's temple, um, and, uh, and that stood then through the time and life of Christ all the way up to 70 AD when it was destroyed by the Romans. And so now the physical temple mount has been laid bare. There's no temple standing there today. And so today the fourth temple is the church. We are now here. We're the temple of this Holy Spirit. God tabernacles with us in spiritually, with mm-hmm. us. But we are going to be removed at the rapture. And then the next temple is actually the tribulation temple, the temple in which Scripture declares that the abomination of desolation will be set up in the temple of God. Well, that's the Antichrist. That's during the tribulation mm-hmm. period. So that is the fifth temple. The sixth temple is Ezekiel's temple, described at the end of the book of Ezekiel, where Christ will rule and reign for a thousand years, and there's a a millennial temple there. And then finally, the seventh and perfect tabernacle is God himself, who dwells with man. That's fantastic. Been a great, great study. I've loved every minute of this, Jeff. Cool. I know people have too. And... I am very indebted to the work you've put into this and the way in which you have crafted it and you've led us on this uh, understanding and all done it uh, with great passion and and, and biblical um, references. So it's been a great study. Which well, rate, go ahead. I know it's. I know that both the beginning and the end have many varying views within Christianity. So let's agree on this: that God made everything. He loves everyone. He wishes none to perish. He's got a future for all of us, and that will play out one day. Mm-hmm. All right. Seems how this concluded your series on In the Beginning. You know, it raises the next question I have. And what's that? 
Uh, what do you got for us next? <laughs> <laughs> well, we got two weeks to decide what we're going to do. I have a couple ideas. I know you do. So probably would consider the law versus grace study. Um, yeah, I just kind of did that in a Monday night class that I'm doing right now, and it's a very fascinating study. It are is. Christians under the law or not? Mm-hmm. And I think Paul clearly says that no, we are not under the law. That uh, in fact, when we put our faith in faith in Christ. The law, the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us. Mm-hmm. That's a big concept. And so we could wrestle with some of those passages. Well, that's an idea. And you can submit your ideas and Rosie will decide. This <laughs> <laughs> is the way things right. work around here. I like it. Okay, I'll, I'll email you some ideas and we'll decide <laughs> what we're going to do next. Yeah, this one has been seven. This is our longest series. Yeah, it's been great. It's been just great. Thank you so much for uh, for doing this. It's really been great. You bet. All right, that uh, is our show for the night. And if you have missed any of this series, uh, hopefully you'll be able to go find it on our website at myfaithradio.com. I don't know if it's all nicely uh, put together or not. Rosie, I don't know if it is, but... We have we're such working on plans. It. Yeah, okay, good. We're our stop is in the w- website, yeah. Yeah, so thank you so much for spending time with me today. I'm looking forward to um, spending tomorrow with you as well. Have a great night, everyone. We'll see you, uh, see you soon. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.